Book One, Chapter Ten of the Lancashire Witches. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information or to volunteer, please go to LibriVox.org. Reading by Andy Minter. The Lancashire Witches, A Romance of Pendle Forest, by William Harrison Ainsworth. Book One, Alison Device. Chapter Ten, The Nocturnal Meeting. On gaining the head of the staircase leading to the corridor, Mistress Nutter, whose movements had hitherto been extremely rapid, paused with her daughter to listen to the sounds arising from below. Suddenly was heard a loud cry, and the music, which had waxed fast and furious in order to keep pace with the frenzied boundings of the squire, ceased at once showing some interruption had occurred, while from the confused noise that ensued it was evident that the sudden stoppage had been the result of accident. With blanched cheek Alison listened, scarcely daring to look at her mother, whose expression of countenance, revealed by the lamp she held in her hand, almost frightened her, and it was a great relief to hear the voices and laughter of the serving-men as they came forth with Nicholas and bore him towards another part of the mansion and though much shocked, she was glad when one of them, who appeared to be Nicholas's own servant, assured the others that, that it was only a drunken fit, and that the squire would wake up next morning as if nothing had happened. Apparently satisfied with this explanation, Mistress Nutter moved on, but a new feeling of uneasiness came over Alison as she followed her down the long dusky corridor, in the direction of the mysterious chamber where they were to pass the night. The fitful flame of the lamp fell upon many a grim painting depicting the sufferings of the early martyrs, and these ghastly representations did not serve to reassure her. The grotesque carvings on the panels and ribs of the vaulted roof likewise impressed her with vague terror, and there was one large piece of sculpture, St. Theodora subjected to diabolical temptation, as described in the Golden Legend, that absolutely scared her. Their footsteps echoed hollowly overhead, and more than once, deceived by the sound, Alison turned to see if any one was behind them. At the end of the corridor lay the room once occupied by the superior of the religious establishment, and still known from that circumstance as the abbot's chamber. Connected with this apartment was the beautiful oratory built by Paslew, wherein he had kept his last vigils, and though now no longer applied to purposes of worship, still wearing from the character of its architecture, its sculptured ornaments, and the painted glass in its casements, a dim religious air. The abbot's room was allotted to Dorothy Asherton, and from its sombre magnificence, as well as the ghostly tales connected with it, had impressed her with so much superstitious misgiving that she besought Alison to share her couch with her, but the young girl did not dare to assent. Just, however, as Mistress Nutter was about to enter her own room, Dorothy appeared on the corridor, and calling to Alison to stay a moment, flew quickly towards her and renewed the proposition. Alison looked at her mother, but the latter decidedly and somewhat sternly negatived it. The young girls then said good-night, kissing each other affectionately, after which Alison entered the room with Mistress Nutter, and the door was closed. Two tapers were burning on the dressing-table, and their light fell upon the carved figures of the wardrobe, 
which still exercised the same weird influence over her. Mistress Nutter neither seemed disposed to retire to rest immediately, nor willing to talk, but sat down, and was soon lost in thought. After a while, an impulse of curiosity which she could not resist, prompted Alison to peep into the closet, and pushing aside the tapestry, partly drawn over the entrance, she held the lamp forward, so as to throw its light into the little chamber. A mere glance was all she was allowed, but it sufficed to show her the large oak chest, though the monkish robe lately suspended above it, and which had particularly attracted her attention, was gone. Mistress Nutter had noticed the movement, and instantly and somewhat sharply recalled her. As Alison obeyed, a slight tap was heard at the door. The young girl turned pale, for in her present frame of mind any little matter affected her, nor were her apprehensions materially allayed by the entrance of Dorothy, who, looking white as a sheet, said she did not dare to remain in her own room, having been terribly frightened by seeing a monkish figure in mouldering white garments, exactly resembling one of the carved images on the wardrobe, issue from behind the hangings on the wall and glide into the oratory, and she entreated Mistress Nutter to let Alison go back with her. The request was peremptorily refused, and the lady, ridiculing Dorothy for her fears, bade her return. But she still lingered. This relation filled Alison with inexpressible alarm, for though she did not dare to allude to the disappearance of the monkish gown, she could not help connecting the circumstance with the ghostly figure seen by Dorothy. Unable otherwise to get rid of the terrified intruder, whose presence was an evident restraint to her, Mistress Nutter at length consented to accompany her to her room, and convince her of the folly of her fears by an examination of the oratory. Alison went with them, her mother not choosing to leave her behind, and indeed she herself was most anxious to go. The abbot's chamber was large and gloomy, nearly twice the size of the room occupied by Mistress Nutter, but resembling it in many respects, as well as in the dusky hue of its hangings and furniture, most of which had been undisturbed since the days of Paslew. The very bed of carved oak was that in which he had slept, and his arms were still displayed upon it, and in the painted glass of the windows. As Alison entered, she looked round with apprehension, but nothing occurred to justify her uneasiness. Having raised the arras, from behind which Dorothy averred the figure had issued, and discovering nothing but a panel of oak, with a smile of incredulity, Mistress Nutter walked boldly towards the oratory, the two girls, hand in hand, following tremblingly after her, but no fearful object met their view. A dressing-table, with a large mirror upon it, occupied the spot where the altar had formerly stood. But in spite of this, and of other furniture, the little place of prayer, as has previously been observed, retained much of its original character, and seemed more calculated to inspire sentiments of devotional awe than any other. After remaining for a short time in the oratory, during which she pointed out the impossibility of any one being concealed there, Mistress Nutter assured Dorothy that she might rest quite easy that nothing further would occur to alarm her, and recommending her to lose the sense of her fears as speedily as she could in sleep, took her departure with Alison. But the recommendation was of little avail. The poor girl's heart died within her, and all her former terrors returned, and with additional force. Sitting down, she looked fixedly at the hangings till her eyes ached, and then, 
covering her face with her hands, and scarcely daring to breathe, she listened intently for the slightest sound. A rustle would have made her scream, but all was still as death, so profoundly quiet that the very hush and silence became a new cause of disquietude, and longing for some cheerful sound to break it, she would have spoken aloud, but from a fear of hearing her own voice. A book lay before her, and she essayed to read it, but in vain. She was ever glancing fearfully round, ever listening intently. This state could not endure for ever, and feeling a drowsiness steal over her, she yielded to it, and at length dropped asleep in her chair. Her dreams, however, were influenced by her mental condition, and slumber was no refuge, as promised by Mistress Nutter, from the hauntings of terror. At last a jarring sound aroused her, and she found she had been awakened by the clock striking twelve. Her lamp required trimming, and burnt dimly, but by its imperfect light she saw the arras move. This could be no fancy, for the next moment the hangings were raised, and a figure looked from behind them, and this time it was not the monk, but a female, robed in white. A glimpse of the figure was all Dorothy caught, for it instantly retreated, and the tapestry fell back to its place against the wall. Scared by this apparition, Dorothy rushed out of the room so hurriedly that she forgot to take her lamp, and made her way, she scarcely knew how, to the adjoining chamber. She did not tap at the door, but trying it, and finding it unfastened, opened it softly and closed it after her, resolved, if the occupants of the room were asleep, not to disturb them, but to pass the night in a chair, the presence of some living beings beside her sufficing in some degree to dispel her terrors. The room was buried in darkness, the tapers being extinguished. Advancing on tiptoe, she soon discovered a seat, when what was her surprise to find Alison asleep within it? She was sure it was Alison, for she had touched her hair and face, and she felt surprised that the contact had not awakened her. Still more surprised did she feel that the young girl had not retired to rest. Again she stepped forward in search of another chair, when a gleam of light suddenly shot from one side of the bed, and the tapestry, masking the entrance to the closet, was slowly drawn aside. From behind it the next moment appeared the same female figure, robed in white, that she had previously beheld in the abbot's chamber. The figure held a lamp in one hand and a small box in the other, and, to her unspeakable horror, disclosed the livid and contorted countenance of Mistress Nutter. Dreadful, though undefined, suspicions crossed her mind, and she feared, if discovered, she would be sacrificed to the fury of this strange and terrible woman. Luckily, where she stood, though Mistress Nutter was revealed to her, she herself was screened from view by the hangings of the bed, and looking around for a hiding-place, she observed that the mysterious wardrobe close behind her was open, and without a moment's hesitation she slipped into the covert, and drew the door to noiselessly. But her curiosity overmastered her fear, and, firmly believing some magical rite was about to be performed, she sought for means of beholding it. Nor was she long in discovering a small eyelet-hole in the carving which commanded the room. Unconscious of any other presence than that of Alison, whose stupor appeared to occasion her no uneasiness, Mistress Nutter placed the lamp upon the table, made fast the door, and, muttering some unintelligible words, unlocked the box. It contained two singularly shaped glass vessels, 
the one filled with a bright sparkling liquid, and the other with a greenish-coloured unguent. Pouring forth a few drops of the liquid into a glass near her, Mistress Nutter swallowed them, and then, taking some of the unguent upon her hands, proceeded to anoint her face and neck with it, exclaiming as she did so, Emen hetan, Emen hetan, words that fixed themselves upon the listener's memory. Wondering what would follow, Dorothy gazed on, when she suddenly lost sight of Mistress Nutter, and after looking for her as far as her range of vision, limited by the aperture, would extend, she became convinced that she had left the room. All remaining quiet, she ventured after a while to quit her hiding-place, and flying to Alison tried to waken her, but in vain. The poor girl retained the same moveless attitude, and appeared plunged in a deathly stupor. Much frightened, Dorothy resolved to alarm the house, but some fears of Mistress Nutter restrained her, and she crept towards the closet to see whether that dread lady could be there. All was perfectly still, and somewhat emboldened, she returned to the table, where the box, which was left open and its contents unguarded, attracted her attention. What was the liquid in the phial? What could it do? These were questions she asked herself, and longing to try the effect, she ventured at last to pour forth a few drops and taste it. It was like a potent distillation, and she became instantly sensible of a strange, bewildering excitement. Presently her brain reeled, and she laughed wildly. Never before had she felt so light and buoyant, and wings seemed scarcely wanting to enable her to fly. An idea occurred to her. The wondrous liquid might arouse Alison. The experiment should be tried at once, and dipping her finger in the phial, she touched the lips of the sleeper, who sighed deeply, and opened her eyes. Another drop, and Alison was on her feet, gazing at her in astonishment, and laughing wildly as herself. Poor girls, how wild and strange they looked, and how unlike themselves! "'Whither are you going?' cried Alison. "'To the moon, to the stars, anywhere!' rejoined Dorothy, with a laugh of frantic glee. "'I will go with you,' cried Alison, echoing the laugh. "'Here and there, here and there,' exclaimed Dorothy, taking her hand. "'Emen hetan, emen hetan.' As the mystic words were uttered, they started away. It seemed as if no impediments could stop them. How they crossed the closet, passed through a sliding panel into the abbot's room, entered the oratory, and from it descended by a secret staircase to the garden, they knew not. But there they were, gliding swiftly along in the moonlight, like winged spirits. What took them towards the conventual church, they could not say. But they were drawn thither, as the ship was irresistibly dragged towards the lodestone rock described in the eastern legend. Nothing surprised them then, or they might have been struck by the dense vapour, enveloping the monastic ruins and shrouding them from view. Nor was it until they entered the desecrated fabric that any consciousness of what was passing around returned to them. Their ears were then assailed by a wild hubbub of discordant sounds, hootings and croakings, as of owls and ravens, shrieks and jarring cries as of night-birds, bellowing as of cattle groans and dismal sounds mixed with unearthly laughter, undefined and extraordinary shapes, whether men or women, beings of this world or of another they could not tell, though they judged them to be the latter, 
flew past with wild hoops and piercing cries, flapping the air as if with great leathern bat-like wings, or bestriding black, monstrous, misshapen steeds. Fantastical and grotesque were these objects, yet hideous and appalling. Now and then a red and fiery star would whiz, crackling through the air, and then exploding break into numerous pale phosphoric lights that danced a while overhead and then flitted away among the ruins. The ground seemed to heave and tremble beneath the footsteps, as if the graves were opening to give forth their dead, while toads and hissing reptiles crept forth. Appalled, and yet partly restored to herself by this confused and horrible din, Alison stood still, and kept fast hold of Dorothy, who, seemingly under a stronger influence than herself, was drawn towards the eastern end of the fane, where a fire appeared to be blazing a strong ruddy glare being cast upon the broken roof of the choir, and the mouldering arches round it. The noises around them suddenly ceased, and all the uproar seemed concentrated near the spot where the fire was burning. Dorothy besought her friend so earnestly to let her see what was going forward, that Alison reluctantly and tremblingly assented, and they moved slowly towards the transept, taking care to keep under the shelter of the columns. On reaching the last pillar, behind which they remained, an extraordinary and fearful spectacle burst upon them. As they had supposed, a large fire was burning in the midst of the choir, the smoke of which, ascending in eddying wreaths, formed a dark canopy overhead, where it was mixed with the steam issuing from a large black bubbling cauldron set on the blazing embers. Around the fire were ranged in a wide circle an assemblage of men and women, but chiefly of the latter, and of these almost all old, hideous, and of malignant aspect, their grim and sinister features looking ghastly in the lurid light. Above them, amid the smoke and steam, wheeled bat and flittermouse, horned owl and screech-owl in mazy circles, the weird assemblage chattered together in some wild jargon, mumbling and muttering spells and incantations, chanting fearfully with hoarse, cracked voices, a wild chorus, and anon breaking into a loud and long-continued peal of laughter. Then there was more mumbling, chattering, and singing, and one of the troop, producing a wallet, hobbled forward. She was a fearful old crone, hunched back, toothless, blear-eyed, bearded, halt, with huge gouty feet swathed in flannel, as she cast in the ingredients one by one, she chanted thus, Head of monkey, brain of cat, eye of weasel, tail of rat, juice of mugwort, mastic, myrrh, all within the pot I stir. Well sung, Mother Maldales, cried a little old man, whose doublet and hose were of rusty black, with a short cloak of the same hue over his shoulders. Well sung, Madam Old Hales, he cried, advancing as the old witch retired, amid a roar of laughter from the others, and chanting as he filled the cauldron, Here is foam from a mad dog's lips, gathered beneath the moon's eclipse, ashes of a shroud consumed, and with deadly vapour fumed. These within the mess I cast. Stir the cauldron. Stir it fast. A red-haired witch then took his place, singing, Here are snakes from out the river, bones of toad and sea-calf's liver, 
swine's flesh fattened on her brood wolf's tooth hare's foot weasel's blood skull of ape and fierce baboon and panther spotted like the moon feathers of the horned owl door pie and other fatal fowl fruit from the fig tree never sown saves from cypress never grown all within the mess i cast sir the cauldrons turn it fast nance redfern then advanced and taking from her wallet a small clay image tricked out in attire intended to resemble that of james device plunged several pins deeply into its breast singing as she did so thus in his likeness it is moulded in his vestments tis enfolded ye may know it as i show it in its breast sharp pins i stick and i drive them to the quick they are in they are in and the wretch's pangs begin now his heart feels the smart through his marrow sharp as arrow torments quiver he shall shiver he shall burn he shall toss and he shall turn unveiling the aches shall rack him cramps attack him he shall wail strength shall fail till he die miserably as nance retired another witch advanced and sang thus over mountain over valley over woodland over waste on our gallant broomsticks riding we have come with frantic haste and the reason of our coming as ye wot well is to see who this night as new-made witch to our ranks shall added be a wild burst of laughter followed this address and another wizard succeeded chanting thus beat the water demdike's daughter till the tempest gather o'er us till the thunder strike with wonder and the lightnings flash before us beat the water demdike's daughter ruin seize our foes and slaughter as the words were uttered a woman stepped from out the circle and throwing back the grey hooded cloak in which she was enveloped disclosed the features of elizabeth device her presence in that fearful assemblage occasioned no surprise to alizon though it increased her horror a pail of water was next set before the witch and a broom being placed in her hand she struck the lymph with it sprinkling it aloft and uttering this spell mount water to the skies bid the sudden storm arise bid the pitchy clouds advance bid the forked lightnings glance bid the angry thunder growl bid the wild wind fiercely howl bid the tempest come amain thunder lightning wind and rain as she concluded clouds gathered thickly overhead obscuring the stars that had hitherto shone down from the heavens the wind suddenly arose but in lieu of dispersing the vapours it seemed only to condense them a flash of forked lightning cut through the air and a loud peal of thunder rolled overhead then the whole troop sang together beat the water daughter see the tempest gathers o'er us lightning flashes thunder crashes wild winds sing in lusty chorus for a brief space the storm raged fearfully and recalled the terror of that previously witnessed by alison which she now began to think might have originated in a similar manner the wind raved round the ruined pile but its breath was not felt within it 
and the rain was heard descending in deluging showers without, though no drop came through the open roof. The thunder shook the walls and pillars of the old fabric, and threatened to topple them down from their foundations, but they resisted the shocks. The lightning played around the tall spire springing from this part of the fane, and ran down from its shattered summit to its base without doing any damage. The red bolts struck the ground innocuously, though they fell at the very feet of the weird assemblage, who laughed wildly at the awful tumult. While the storm was at its worst, while the lightning was flashing fiercely and the thunder rattling loudly, Mother Chattox, with a chafing dish in her hand, advanced towards the fire, and placing the pan upon it, threw certain herbs and roots into it, chanting thus, "'Here is Joseph poppy-bruised, with back hellebar infused. Here is mandrake's bleeding root, mixed with moonshade's deadly fruit, vipers bag with venom filled, thick and air the beast was killed, adder's skin and raven's feather, with shell of beetle blent together, orange wort and barbatus, hemlock black and poisonous, horn of harps and storaks red, lapwing's blood at midnight shed, in the heated pan they burn, and to pungent vapours turn, by this strong suffumigation, by this potent invocation, spirits, I compel you here, all who list my call appear. After a moment's pause, she resumed as follows. White-robed brethren who of old, nightly paced John cloisters cold, sleeping now beneath the mould, I bid ye rise. Abbots, by the weakling feared, by the credulous revered, who this mighty fabric reared, I bid ye rise, and thou last and guilty one, by thy lust of power undone, whom in death thy fellows shun, I bid thee come, and thou, fair one, who disdain to keep the vows thy lips had feigned, and thy snowy garment stained, I bid thee come. During this invocation, the glee of the assemblage ceased, and they looked around in hushed expectation of the result. Slowly then did a long procession of monkish forms, robed in white, glide along the aisles and gather round the altar. The brass-covered stones within the presbytery were lifted up, as if they moved on hinges, and from the yawning graves beneath them arose solemn shapes, sixteen in number, each with mitre on head and crozier in hand, which likewise proceeded to the altar. Then a loud cry was heard, and from a side chapel burst the monkish form in mouldering garments, which Dorothy had seen enter the oratory, and which would have mingled with its brethren at the altar, but they waved it off menacingly. Another piercing shriek followed, and a female shape, habited like a nun, and of surpassing loveliness, issued from the opposite chapel, and hovered near the fire. Content with this proof of her power, Mother Chattox waved her hand, and the long shadowy train glided off as they came. The ghostly abbots returned to their tombs, and the stones closed over them. 
but the shades of Paspew and Isolde Heaton still lingered. The storm had well-nigh ceased, the thunder rolled hollowly at intervals, and a flash of lightning now and then licked the walls. The weird crew had resumed their rights when the door of the Lady Chapel flew open, and a tall female figure came forward. Alison doubted if she beheld aright. Could that terrific woman in the strangely fashioned robe of white, girt by a brazen zone graven with mystic characters, with a long glittering blade in her hand, infernal fury in her wildly rolling orbs, the livid hue of death on her cheeks, and the red brand upon her brow, could that fearful woman, with the black dishevelled tresses floating over her bare shoulders, and whose gestures were so imperious, be Mistress Nutter? Mother no longer, if it indeed were she. How came she there amid that weird assemblage? Why did they so humbly salute her and fall prostrate before her, kissing the hem of her garment? Why did she stand proudly in the midst of them, and extend her hand, armed with the knife, over them? Was she their sovereign mistress, that they bent so lowly at her coming, and rose so reverentially at her bidding? Was this terrible woman now seated on a dilapidated tomb, and regarding the dark conclave with the eye of a queen who held the lives in her hand? Was she her mother? Oh, no, no, it could not be! It must be some fiend that usurped her likeness! Still, though Alison thus strove to discredit the evidence of her senses, and to hold all she saw to be delusion and the work of darkness, she could not entirely convince herself, but imperfectly recalling the fearful vision she had witnessed during her former stupor, began to connect it with the scene now passing before her. The storm had wholly ceased, and the stars again twinkled down through the shattered roof. Deep silence prevailed, broken only by the hissing and bubbling of the cauldron. Alison's gaze was riveted upon her mother, whose slightest gestures she watched. After numbering the assemblage thrice, Mistress Nutter majestically arose, and motioning Mother Chattox towards her, the old witch tremblingly advanced, and some words passed between them, the import of which did not reach the listener's ear. In conclusion, however, Mistress Nutter exclaimed aloud, in accents of command, "'Go!' Bring it at once. The sacrifice must be made. And on this Mother Chattox hobbled off to one of the side chapels. A mortal terror seized Alison, and she could scarcely draw breath. Dark tales had been told her that unbaptized infants were sometimes sacrificed by witches, and their flesh boiled and devoured at their impious banquets. And dreading lest some such atrocity was now about to be practised, she mustered all her resolution, determined at any risk to interfere, and, if possible, prevent its accomplishment. In another moment Mother Chattox returned, bearing something living, wrapped in a white cloth, which struggled feebly for liberation, apparently confirming Alison's superstitions, and she was about to rush forward, when Mistress Nutter, snatching the bundle from the old witch, opened it, and disclosed a beautiful bird, with plumage white as the driven snow whose legs were tied together so that it could not escape. Conjecturing what was to follow, Alison averted her eyes, and when she looked round again the bird had been slain, while Mother Chattox was in the act of throwing its body into the cauldron, muttering a charm as she did so. Mistress Nutter held the ensanguined knife aloft, 
and casting some ruddy drops into the glowing embers, pronounced, as they hissed and smoked, the following adjuration. Thy aid I seek, infernal power, be thy word sent to Malkin Tower, that the beldam old may know, where I will, thou'dst have her go, what I will, thou'dst have her do. An immediate response was made by an awful voice, issuing apparently from the bowels of the earth. Thou who seekst the demon's aid, know'st the price that must be paid? The queen witch rejoined, I do, but grant the aid I crave, and that thou wishest thou shalt have. Another worshipper is one, thine to be when all is done. Again the deep voice spake, with something of mockery in its accent. Enough, proud witch, I am content. To Malkin Tower the word is sent. Forth to her task the beldame goes, and where she points the streamlet flows. Its customary bed forsaking, another distant channel making. Round about like elf it's tripping, Stock and stone and tree are skipping, Halting where she plants her staff, With a wild exulting laugh. Oh, tis a merry sight, Thou hast given the hag to-night. Lo, the sheepfold and the herd, To another sight are stirred, And the rugged limestone quarry, Where t'was digged, may no more tarry, While the goblin-haunted dingle with another dell must mingle. Pendle Moor is in commotion, like the billows of the ocean. When the winds are o'er its ranging, heaving, falling, bursting, changing, oh, tis a merry sight thou hast given the hag to-night. Lo, the moss-fool sudden flies in another spot to rise, and the scanty-grown plantation finds another situation, and a more congenial soil, without needing woodman's toil, now the warren moves, and see how the burrowing rabbits flee, hither, thither, till they find it, with another break behind it. Oh, tis a merry sight, thou hast given the hag to-night. Lo, new lines the witch is tracing, Every well-known mark effacing, Elsewhere other bounds erecting, So the old there's no detecting. Oh, tis a pastime quite, Thou hast given the hag to-night. The hound at eve who wandered o'er The dreary waste of Pendlemoor, Shall wake at dawn and in surprise Doubt the strange sight that meets his eyes. The pathway leading to his hut Winds differently, the gate is shut. The ruin on the right that stood Lies on the left, and neither wood. The paddock fenced with wall of stones, Well stocked with kine a mile hath flown. The sheepfold and the herd are gone, Through channels new the brooklet rushes, Its ancient course concealed by bushes. Where the hollow was, a mound rises from the upheaved ground. Doubting, shouting with surprise, how the fool stares and rubs his eyes. 
All so changed the simple elf, fancies he is changed himself. Oh, tis a merry sight the hag shall have when dawns the light, but see, she halts and waves her hand. All is done as thou hast planned. After a moment's pause, the voice added, I have done as thou hast willed. Now be thy path straight fulfilled. It shall be, replied Mistress Nutter, whose features gleamed with a fierce exultation. "'Bring forth the proselyte!' she shouted. And at her words her swarthy serving-man, Blackadder, came forth from the lacy chapel, leading Janet by the hand. They were followed by Tib, who, dilated to twice his former size, walked with tail erect and eyes glowing like carbuncles. At the sight of her daughter a loud cry of rage and astonishment burst from Elizabeth Device, and rushing forward she would have seized her if Tib had not kept her off by a formidable display of teeth and talons. Jennet made no effort to join her mother, but regarded her with a malicious and triumphant grin. "'This is my child!' screamed Elizabeth. "'She cannot be baptised without my consent, and I refuse it. I don't want her to be a witch, at least.' "'Not yet a while. What may you hear, you little plague?' "'I were brought here, mother,' replied Janet, with affected simplicity. "'Then get home at once and stop there,' rejoined Elizabeth furiously. "'Nay, that's no go just yet,' replied Janet. "'I'd fain be a witch as well as you.' "'Oh!' laughed the voice from below. "'Nay, nay, I forbid it,' shrieked Elizabeth. "'Ye shanna be baptised. "'Why are you brought her here, madam?' she addressed to Mistress Nutter. "'You have stolen her from me, but I protest again it.' "'Your consent is not required,' replied Mistress Nutter, waving her off. "'Your daughter is anxious to become a witch. "'That is enough.' "'She is not old enough to act for herself,' said Elizabeth. "'Age matters not,' replied Mistress Nutter. "'What man I do to become a witch?' asked Janet. "'You must renounce all hopes of heaven,' replied Mistress Nutter, "'and devote yourself to Satan. "'You will then be baptised in his name, "'and become one of his worshippers. "'You will have power to afflict all persons with bodily ailments, "'to destroy cattle, blight corn, burn dwellings, "'and if you be so minded, kill those you hate or who molest you.' "'Do you desire to do all this?' "'Ah, that I do,' replied Janet. "'I have more pleasure in evil than good, "'and would rather see folk weak than laugh. "'And if I had the power, I would so punish them as dear at me "'that they should rue it to their day and day.' "'All this you shall do, and more,' rejoined Mistress Nutter. "'You renounce all hopes of salvation, then, "'and devote yourself, soul and body, to the powers of darkness?' Elizabeth, who was still kept at bay by Tib, shaking her arms and gnashing her teeth in impotent rage, now groaned aloud. But ere Janet could answer, a piercing cry was heard, which thrilled through Mistress Nutter's bosom, and Alison, rushing from her place of concealment, passed through the weird circle, and stood beside the group in the midst of it. "'Forbear, Janet!' she cried, forbear, pronounce not these impious words, or you are lost for ever. Come with me, and I will save you. Sister Alison, 
cried Janet, staring at her in surprise. "'What makes you here?' "'Do not ask, but come!' cried Alison, trying to take her hand. "'Oh, what is this?' cried Mistress Nutter, now partly recovered from the consternation and astonishment into which she had been thrown by Alison's unexpected appearance. "'Why are you here?' "'How have you broken the chains of slumber in which I bound you? "'Fly! Fly at once! "'This girl is past your help. "'You cannot save her. "'She is already devoted. "'Fly! "'I am powerless to protect you here.' "'Ho, ho, ho!' laughed the voice. "'Do you not hear that laughter?' cried Mistress Nutter, with a haggard look. "'Go!' "'Never without Janet,' replied Alison firmly. "'My child, my child, on my knees, I implore you to depart!' cried Mistress Nutter, throwing herself before her. "'You know not your danger. Oh, fly, fly!' But Alison continued inflexible. "'You are caught at your own snare, madam,' cried Elizabeth Device, with a taunting laugh. "'Sin Janet mun be a witch, Alison can be bit tased as well. Your consent is not required, and age matters not.' <laughs> "'Curses upon thy malice!' cried Mistress Nutter, rising. "'What can be done in this extremity?' "'Nothing,' replied the voice. "'Janet is mine already. "'If not brought hither by thee or by her mother, "'she would have come of her own accord. "'I have watched her and marked her for my own. "'Besides, she is fated. "'The curse of Paslu clings to her.' "'As the words were uttered, the shade of the abbot glided forward, and touching the shuddering child upon the brow with its finger, vanished with a lamentable cry. "'Kneel, Janet!' cried Alison. "'Kneel and pray!' "'To me,' rejoined the voice, "'she can bend to no other power. Alice Nutter, thou hast sought to deceive me, but in vain. I bade thee bring thy daughter here.' and in place of her thou offerest me the child of another, who is mine already. I am not thus to be trifled with. Thou knowest my will. Sprinkle water over her head, and devote her to me. Alison would fain have thrown herself on her knees, but extremity of horror, or some overmastering influence, held her fast, and she remained with her gaze fixed upon her mother, who seemed torn by conflicting emotions. "'Is there no way to avoid this?' cried Mistress Nutter. "'No way but one,' replied the voice. "'I have been offered a new devotee, and I claim fulfilment of the promise. "'Thy daughter or another, it matters not, but not Janet.' "'I embrace the alternative,' cried Mistress Nutter. "'It must be done upon the instant,' said the voice. "'It shall be,' replied Mistress Nutter and stretching her arm in the direction of the mansion, she called in a loud, imperious voice, "'Dorothy Asherton, come hither!' A minute elapsed, but no one appeared, and with a look of disappointment, Mistress Nutter repeated the gesture and the words. Still no one came. "'Baffled!' she exclaimed. "'What can it mean?' "'There is a maiden within the south transept,' "'Who is not one of my servants?' cried the voice. "'Call her.' "'Tis she!' cried Mistress Nutter, stretching her arms towards the transept. "'This time I am answered,' she added, as with a wild laugh, 
Dorothy obeyed the summons. "'I have anointed myself with the unguent and drank of the potion!' <laughs> cried Dorothy, with a wild gesture and wilder laughter. Ah, "'This accounts for her presence here,' muttered Mistress Nutter. "'But it could not be better. She is in no mood to offer resistance. Dorothy, thou shalt be a witch!' "'A witch!' exclaimed the bewildered maiden. "'Is Alison a witch?' "'We are all witches here,' replied Mistress Nutter. Alison had no power to contradict her. "'A merry company!' exclaimed Dorothy, laughing loudly. "'You will say so anon,' replied Mistress Nutter, waving her hand over her and muttering a spell. "'But you see them not in their true forms, Dorothy. Look again. What do you behold now?' "'In place of a troop of old wrinkled crones in the wretched habiliment,' replied Dorothy, "'I behold a band of lovely nymphs in light gauzy attire, "'wreathed with flowers and holding myrtle and olive branches in their hands. "'See, they rise and prepare for the dance. "'Strange of ravishing music salute the ear. "'I never heard sound so sweet and stirring. "'The round is formed, the dance begins. "'How gracefully, how lightly they move!' Alison could not check her, could not undeceive her, for power of speech as of movement was denied her, but she comprehended the strange delusion under which the poor girl laboured. The figures Dorothy described as young and lovely were still to her the same loathsome and abhorrent witches. The ravishing music jarred discordantly on her ear, as if produced by a shrill cornemuse and the lightsome dance was a fantastic round, performed with shouts and laughter by the whole unhallowed crew. Janet laughed immoderately, and seemed delighted by the antics of the troop. "'I've never wished to dance afore,' she cried, "'but I should like to try now.' "'Join them, then,' said Mistress Nutter. And to the little girl's infinite delight, a place was made for her in the round, and taking hands with Mother Boldheels and the red-haired witch, she footed it as merrily as the rest. "'Who is she in the dun-like habit?' inquired Dorothy, pointing to the shade of Isolde Heaton, which still hovered near the weird assemblage. "'She seems more beautiful than all the others. Will she not dance with me?' "'Heed her not,' said Mistress Nutter. Dorothy, however, would not be gainsaid, but, spite of the caution, beckoned the figure towards her. It came at once, and in another instant its arms were enlaced around her. The same frenzy that had seized Nicholas now took possession of Dorothy, and her dance with Isole might have come to a similar conclusion, if it had not been abruptly checked by Mistress Nutter, who, waving her hand and pronouncing a spell, the figure instantly quitted Dorothy, and, with a wild shriek, fled. "'How like you these diversions!' said Mistress Nutter, to the panting and almost breathless maiden. Marvellously, replied Dorothy. "'But why have you scared my partner away?' "'Because she would have done you a mischief,' rejoined Mistress Nutter. "'But now let me put a question to you. "'Are you willing to renounce your baptism and enter into a covenant with the Prince of Darkness?' Dorothy did not seem in the least to comprehend what was said to her, but she nevertheless replied, "'I am.' "'Bring water and salt,' said Mistress Nutter to Mother Chattox. "'By these drops I baptise you,' she added, dipping her finger in the liquid and preparing to sprinkle it over the brow of the proselyte. 
Then it was that Alison, by an almost superhuman effort, burst the spell that bound her, and clasped Dorothy in her arms. "'You know not what you do, dear Dorothy,' she cried. "'I answer for you. You will not yield to the snares and temptations of Satan, however subtly devised. You defy him, and all his works. You will make no covenant with him. Though surrounded by his bond-slaves, you fear him not. Is it not so? Speak!' But Dorothy could only answer with an insane laugh, "'I will be a witch!' "'It is too late,' interposed Mistress Nutter. "'You cannot save her, and remember, she stands in your place. You or she must be devoted.' "'I will never desert her,' cried Alison, twinning her arms around her. "'Dorothy, dear Dorothy, address yourself to heaven!' An angry growl of thunder was heard. "'Beware!' cried Mistress Nutter. "'I am not to be discouraged,' rejoined Alison firmly. "'You cannot gain a victory over a soul in this condition, and I shall effect her deliverance. Heaven will aid us, Dorothy.' A louder roll of thunder was heard, followed by a forked flash of lightning. "'Provoke not the vengeance of the Prince of Darkness,' said Mistress Nutter. "'I have no fear,' replied Alison. "'Cling to me, Dorothy. No harm shall befall you.' "'Be speedy!' cried the voice. "'Let her go!' cried Mistress Nutter to Alison. "'Or you will rue this disobedience. "'Why should you interfere with my projects and bring ruin on yourself? "'I would save you. "'What? Still obstinate? "'Nay, then, I will no longer show forbearance. "'Help me, sisters. "'Force the new witch from her. "'But beware how you harm my child.' At these words the troop gathered round the two girls, but Alison only clasped her hands more tightly round Dorothy, while the latter, on whose brain the maddening potion still worked, laughed frantically at them. It was at this moment that Elizabeth Device, who had conceived a project of revenge, put it into execution. While near Dorothy she stamped, spat on the ground, and then cast a little mould over her, breathing in her ear, "'Thou art bewitched, bewitched by Alison Device.' Dorothy instantly struggled to free herself from Alison. "'Oh, do not you strive against me, dear Dorothy,' cried Alison. "'Remain with me, or you are lost.' "'Hands off! Set me free!' shrieked Dorothy. "'You have bewitched me, and I heard it this moment.' "'Do not believe these false suggestions,' cried Alison. "'It is true!' exclaimed all the other witches together. "'Alison has bewitched you, and she will kill you. "'Shake her off! Shake her off!' "'Away!' cried Dorothy, mustering all her force. "'Away!' But Alison was still too strong for her, and in spite of her efforts at liberation, detained her. "'My patience is well-nigh exhausted!' exclaimed the voice. "'Alison!' cried Mistress Nutter imploringly. And again the witches gathered furiously round the two girls. "'Kneel, Dorothy, kneel!' whispered Alison, and forcing her down she fell on her knees beside her, exclaiming with uplifted hands, "'Gracious heaven, deliver us!' As the words were uttered, a fearful cry was heard, and the weird troop fled away, screaming like ill-omened birds. The cauldron sank into the ground, the dense mist arose like a curtain, and the moon and stars shone brightly down upon the ruined pile. 
Alison prayed long and fervently with clasped hands and closed eyes for deliverance from evil. When she looked round again, all was so calm, so beautiful, so holy in its rest, that she could scarcely believe in the recent fearful occurrences. Her hair and garments were damp with the dews of night, and at her feet lay Dorothy, insensible. She tried to raise her, to revive her, but in vain. When at this moment footsteps were heard approaching, and the next moment Mistress Nutter, accompanied by Adam Whitworth and some other serving men, entered the choir. "'I see them! They are here!' cried the lady, rushing forward. "'Heaven be praised you have found them, madam!' exclaimed the old steward, coming quickly after her. "'Oh, what an alarm you have given me, Harrison!' said Mistress Nutter. "'What could induce you to go forth secretly at night in this way with Dorothy? "'I dreamt you were here, and missing you when I awoke, roused the house and came in search of you. "'What is the matter with Dorothy? "'She has been frightened, I suppose. "'I will give her to breathe at this phial. "'It will revive her. "'See, she opens her eyes.' "'Dorothy looked round wildly for a moment.' Then, pointing her finger at Alison, said, "'She has bewitched me.' The "'Poor thing! She rambles,' observed Mistress Nutter to Adam Whitworth, who, with the other serving-men, stared aghast at the accusation. "'She has been scared out of her senses by some fearful sight. Let her be conveyed quickly to my chamber, and I will see her cared for.' The orders were obeyed. Dorothy was raised gently by the serving-men, but she still kept pointing to Alison, and repeatedly exclaimed, "'She has bewitched me!' The serving-men shook their heads, and looked significantly at each other, while Mistress Nutter lingered to speak to her daughter. "'You look greatly disturbed, Alison, as if you had been visited by a nightmare in your sleep, and were still under its influence.' Alison made no reply. "'A few hours' tranquil sleep will restore you.' pursued Mistress Nutter, and you will forget your fears. You must not indulge these nocturnal ramblings again, or they may be attended with dangerous consequences. I may not have a second warning dream. Come to the house. And as Alison followed her along the garden path, she could not help asking herself, though with little hope in the question, if all she had witnessed was indeed nothing more than a troubled dream. End of chapter 10 and of book 1